0: Do I usually have, like, a thing when I introduce a supplemental reading? I don't remember. <laughs> it's It's been a little while, because the last we, one we did had a guest. We invert the... Um, yeah, we invert the my name is John and my name is Henry thing. Yeah. Yeah, but I didn't know if I had, like, a little thing that I said. I mean, this could be part of it. It could be part of it. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Podcast. Nope, that's not it. <laughs> Welcome, Nomadge, to another 0 credit supplemental reading. My name is John. And my name is Henry. And tonight we're talking about the David Yates film, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Based on a 34-page book that has beasts in it and where to find them, kind of by J.K. Rawlings. Based on a micro-book released 15 years ago. Yep. Which in no way actually details what's happening in the movie. It's not at all based at all on that. It's it's just a property thing. What is this, the ninth movie in the Harry Potter franchise? If you're counting split-up movies, then yes. Yeah, I am. Then yes, this is the ninth film in the Harry Potter universe. Or as we call it, the H-extended universe. <laughs> the oh, H- the, the Hextended universe. <laughs> the extended, universe. Which makes sense because of the magic. Oh, yes, because of hexes. Yeah. As in... Witches. Six-sided spells. Yeah, witches. So, uh, this movie was uh, directed by David Yates. I believe he directed a few of the latter of the Harry Potter films. I think he directed five, six, seven, and seven two. That's a weird way to say seven yeah, seven two. But no no no. He he filmed the better Harry Potter films. Uh yeah. The the better Harry Potter films that weren't directed by Alfonso Cuarón. Okay, no, I, we we will fight to the death. Prisoner of Azkaban was the worst film. It ended on a freeze frame. It is the worst. Oh my god, I'm I'm having a stroke. Such a good freeze frame. Anyway, so David Yates five six seven seven two, fantastic beasts, <laughs> <laughs> and where to find them. What I was going to say, not that was a fascinating guy, David Yates. Because from what I'm able to understand about him, he uh, he doesn't really have any directorial work in his back catalog that would make it seem like he would be up to the task of creating these movies. I think the thing he was most well known for was creating a British political drama called something about the play, State of Play, maybe? I mean, State of Play sounds like a name of a thing that exists, whether or not... David Yates was attached. Nobody knows. True. But he really came in and kind of reinvented visually and uh, directorially the Harry Potter movies and, like, managed to turn... Because let's be honest, the first four Harry Potter movies are uh, of interest because they're kind of all over the map. They're completely just like, I don't know, it doesn't seem like anyone knows what exactly to put in the films, Mm -hmm. uh, what to include, what to cut. I mean, Prisoner of Azkaban doesn't even have the Dumbledore talk at the end of the film, which is like, oh, you know, you kind of need the Dumbledore talk Mm -hmm. at the end of each film Mm -hmm. to tell us what everything meant. Mm-hmm. That's what Dumbledore does. Yeah, he has the—I uh, call it the Dumbledore numa. Yeah, the Dumbledore numa. So um, this, uh, these last four, I guess, Harry Potter movies, not including Fantastic Beasts, really transformed the series into like this very cohesive whole, pointed in a direction, and he took a a liberal knife to how much of the story from the books he wanted to include. He was very uh, inclusive of things that were important, and for purposes of making them into feature-length movies, he did cast aside things that were maybe not as vital to the audience, and also did pretty admirably in kind of staying true to the slipshod vision of the last four by kind of cluing the audience in on things about the books that weren't, uh, I guess, as important when the movies were coming out. So they were like, let's not mention Grindelwald at all. Yeah, no Grindelwald. uh, Sorry, house elves. Sorry, spew. Mm -hmm. You know, these little things that were not cohesively important to the story at large, but did help make the world better, Mm -hmm. or bigger. And uh, David Yates really, especially, and I think this is maybe uh, the most puerile thought I have on it, but in terms of making wizards fighting a really interesting, kind of never-before-seen thing to watch, really, and I mean, whatever, they're Dragon Ball Z fights at a certain point, especially that last Voldemort fight yeah but uh he he did a really good job of making them like dynamic and interesting and colorful and scary and, and in a world where anyone can die with the simple utterance of a spell, it's hard to make magic battles interesting mm mm-hmm. So, no, he did a good job of of just the visual sort of aspect, that Dumbledore versus Voldemort fight. Oh, with all the shattering glass and stuff? Yes. Oh, real good. I mean, this is a world where the only thing that's really not defined is the limitations of the magic. Mm. And so to see just untapped sorcery, like, battle, that's awesome. Where was that? We need more of that. And I feel like David Yates was kind of put into this trial by fire and that he had to translate these last four five six seven no five six seven seven two he had to translate the the transition of harry potter into like a darker more meaningful thing into film which up until that point the movies were kind of uh struggling to do yeah i mean because he starts as what like a 10 year old kid mm-hmm. and he ends up what like an 18 year old kid yeah 17 18 something like that there, there's a, there's a dark transition in there you know it's just like things become more mature More adult, the great, the the graves, the stakes get graver. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Yates just happened to be able to walk in at that transition period where, hey, Order of the Phoenix, the fifth one, things are dark now. They'll continue, someone's died for the first time in the series. And and, and the fourth book, and now we're mm -hmm. dealing with it. And maybe the uh, that's kind of magnified by the fact that in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, it's kind of the most adult story told in that universe yet, and it I guess it's just ramping up in terms of in terms of the stakes. It's raising the stakes higher and higher because Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is kind of the the coalescence of all these ideas that he's working with. Like magic is this powerful, powerful thing, and up until this point, we've seen it from children's perspectives. And in Fantastic Beasts, there's this great usage of magic casually by adults who are really good at it so it's this really pardon the usage of this word but spellbinding experience to see people teleporting all over the place and casually using magic for utility and not just fighting people yeah no i I really think Yates or, or kind of Yates or Rawling, kind of tapped into the darkness of the the finality of the series, and kind of was just like, "That's our new starting point." Mm -hmm. You know, we're we're not gonna shy away from the the harsh realities of this magic. We're no longer sheltered by these safe walls of Hogwarts. We're in New York, the mean streets of New York. Mm-hmm. where you know magic is a is a means of survival more so than like a means of learning about the world and maybe the most telling thing about fantastic beasts and where to find them and the direction it's going to take maybe versus the movies is that the screenwriter for fantastic beasts and where to find them is jk rowling yeah it is her uh, screenwriting debut. No longer are books being adapted into screenplays. She is writing the movie in her universe from start to finish and including everything that she, you know, sees fit. And that's really cool because we're not getting like a watered down or translated thing. We're getting hopefully, you know, rolling. Yes. But hopefully like she's working with Yates throughout the process to kind of refine and like harness and, 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 and make it perfect. And I don't want to tip my hat too much, but I really, really like this movie. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you have the very singular creative vision of J.K. Rowling working with uh, the very seasoned creative vision of David Yates from the previous films. So they're kind of this perfect pair to launch this new franchise, which I didn't know was a franchise until I finished it. Oh, you didn't realize. And then there was a there was a stinger at the end that said uh, Spider Man will return in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them too. Yeah, no, it is a launch of a new franchise. We're going to see five total films mm. that kind of go wherever they want to go. You know, we're not bound to any source material. Uh, and one thing that you know, we've got Yates, we've got Rowling, Rowling, and uh, I really feel like the executives are just giving them enough freedom for them to really harness their vision. Mm. Because you know there there's I don't want to I don't want to spoil anything. No, I do. Oh, it's a supplemental reading. Uh spoilers are 100% on the table. Yeah. When you come to a supplemental reading, partner, you put all your chips in. Here we go, all in. People die in this movie. People die in the first 5 seconds of pe- this movie. People people yeah. There's a big burst of, like, colorful flame and people just straight up die. Multiple people are straight up murdered. Yeah. Uh, and death is uh, a present threat in this movie. Innocent people die. In large numbers. In largely obscurity. Yes. People, people just straight up get murdered. Mm Mm-hmm. Sometimes by magic. Yeah. That's insane. Yep. Not, not even with a Vatican. But with giant cloud monsters. Giant cloud monsters, like Lost. So uh, let's let's reel this back in a little bit. All right, like a fish, and let's uh, let's lay the groundwork. You got the niffler. Okay, let's take it back even further. You got a newspaper's top build cast. Oh, Eddie Remen. Eddie Redman. Edward Redwood. Ed- Edward Redmaind. Edward Redwood <laughs> is uh, Newt. Scamander? Newt Scamander. Short for Newton? Newton and then three other names, Scamander. He is the, uh, primary character. Uh, he is a... What would you call him? I would call him a magical zoologist. Magical zoologist? I was going to say cryptozoologist, but I was just like, this shit's real. Yeah, so. the, the the magical beasts are real, man. And then you have, I believe, what's her name? Katie Waterston? I do not know her As, name. As, like, Tina Feather or whatever her name is. Last names aren't important in Harry Potter movies Tina, or books. Tina Demoted. Yeah, Tina, constantly demoted. Um, you have Colin Farrell as or Percival Graves. All right. And that's about... Then you have that guy who played Kowalski, and God, I wish I knew what his name was, because he's fantastic. No, he was great. I don't know his actor name... But his character name was Jacob Kowalski. That's true. That's a true fact. So uh, now that we have the... Uh, I feel like there's more people that we need to mention. Yeah, for sure. Probably. I, I, mean, I Are we just doing top build cast? You said top build yeah, cast. Yeah, like top build cast. All right. 100%. Well, you know... Uh, what? Ron Perlman is in it for five seconds. Yes, Ron Perlman plays a voice. But he's a name. So All why right. not say his name? Ron uh, Perlman. I, there, there seemed like in the credits there were a lot of names before Callan Farrell. Yeah, probably. Just, just tons of names uh we're bad at people now that we have the skeleton of this of this meaty beast let's talk about its its organs the story (laughs) the organ story (laughs) the organ story um okay well seemingly we start with a dark house Mm mm-hmm And then an explosion. (laughs) A dark house explodes. People die. Yeah. Then newspapers rain from the sky (laughs) way too quickly to read. Unreadable newspapers. And they mention things like Grimdalbold. Mm-hmm. and uh soccer soccer they mentioned soccer <laughs> and uh you're supposed to get that this is 1920s time yeah We're 1920s building up- america. america america because it uses the term nomad which is bullshit which is i think here's the thing about nomad henry it's bullshit john i think that nomad is kind of a cutesy word to come up with in your fake universe america americans would not come up with no we would also not call people muggles we would also not we would probably just say people (laughs) would we in the 20s okay so what would we call them john what would we call them uh if we were wizards and we in the political uh climate of wizards in 1920s america which are pretty like Exclusive. I would call them probably something mean and, uh, that is discriminatory over their unuse of magic power. Alright, so something like norm fucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, norm fucks. But no. <laughs> like, in the 1920s we had words like WAP, which is just without papers. Ah. Uh, you know, we, we had... Wait. WOM. Without magic. Oh, there we go. Why don't we call them wombs? We'd call them wombs. But, uh, no, I think... Wombats that, for long. <laughs> I think that, uh, I think that... Because they're crazy. Nomadge like is, a, uh... Like a bat. I think that nomad is kind of a silly word, but I think that it's kind of a deft stroke of a word because it, it isn't muggle. It's not cute. It's saying we have kind of a derogatory slur for people who don't have magic. Yeah, wombat. Yeah, wombat. Cause they're crazy. Yeah, nifflers. Um, but no, I like, I like <clears throat> Nomadge because it says a lot about, it, even though I think that Nomadge as itself sounds dumb. Yeah, the phrase itself sounds dumb, but I guess the curtness of the phrase leads you to a more derogatory sort of sense rather than muggle, which is like, Oh look adorable they 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 trying to they got to use their hands to pick up a book. Yeah, and it, I mean it speaks to cultural differences because, you know, Americans are just mean and British people are cute about being mean. It comes from the same place. I picked up the meanness in, in this movie. Americans are very direct very like oh there's a hierarchy you gotta bow down to the to the madam president or else you get demoted to wand licenses and that's kind of something that runs through the movie that i enjoy because eddie redmayne's character newt scamander is british he is from hogwarts he graduated there and he's traveling to new york city to eventually go to arizona to release a thunderbird yeah which is i I thought that's really cool also yeah because he likes magical beasts yeah, and the climate that surrounds him is one that kill on sight. Mm-hmm. Because the in the 1920s in America in magic and this is post uh World War I. Yeah. Uh it's very much 1920s America of like very protective of your property, your intellectual property, your efforts. It's uh it's very modernist. It is very modernist. It's, it's very modernist, and... Uh, it it kind of captured modernist 1920s America. I mean, look at the structure inside the Makusa building. It's modernist America. It's, it's so tall, it has clouds inside of it. Everything's, like, golden and, and architecturally... Art deco. Yeah, everything's art deco. Everything's like, we will strive and reach greatness by striving. Yep. And striving is to build things literally higher. With clouds and... Messenger birds, and it's uh, you know, I think that if you take the Harry Potter universe, even if it started as something that was to ensorcel little kids, it it is something that <laughs> it kind of blows up the the cultural norms of British society, where it's like, oh go down to sneak out to a pub and have a butter beer and and play football on a broomstick, and then in America, it's just like very terse, very direct. Very MACUSA. MACUSA. MACUSA, the, the magical Congress of the United States of America. What a, what a thing. I, when I first heard that, I had no preparation for it, and I was like, Yes, wizard bureaucracy. Well, I mean, you have to think. They do have the Ministry of Magic and over the pond, across the pond. Yeah. So it would make sense that we would have, I guess, a constitution of magic. And the Ministry of Magic also blows up those British cultural norms because the Ministry of Magic is like House of Commons, a bunch of people fighting with different agendas. And Makusa's very strict... Uh, regimented, mean-spirited, like, hierarchical bureaucracy. However, I will say that one scene toward the middle of the film, where, uh, Tina is bringing in the case with Newt in it mm-hmm. to the, to the, the, the... What, a constitution? The room they're in looks very much like a British parliament instead of, like, an American congress. It does, because everyone's, like, sitting in this huge round. It's almost like a forum kind of yeah. thing. It's very... It's it's not exactly congressy. So, I mean, set set dressers, set designers, mm, wag of the finger. Yeah, there should have been more, like, Res- wood... There should have been more wood. wood, more, more podiums to stand at. And also, like, arena-style seating. Yeah, for and, sure. And concentric circles. Mm-hmm. Just like what I pictured the American (laughs) Congress to look like. Whereas uh, Harry Potter was big on, like, dioceses. Yeah, dioceses. Everyone sat at a dais. Dais. But, um, no, I think that uh, the take on the politicization of magic in the United States was really interesting, really cool. Uh, and then just, uh, the characters that fell out of that so much more sharper and meaner than what you would expect out of, like, a like a Harry Potter movie. Well, I mean, it's kind of like we know the world now, and we know we, we, the way we know the world was in a very soft edge, a very soft lens through children. Mm-hmm. Now we're dealing with adults who are kind of, they're fully formed. Their motivations are set, you know? Mm-hmm. Tina wants to be too good at her job, because she's an American. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the whole mindset, you know, put yourself in your work. Yeah, put yourself in your work. You must strive. Newt. You can only reach truth by striving. Yeah. Newt Scamander just wants to, you know, do well by his beasties. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jacob Kowalski wants to open... He just wants to get out of that cannery, man. Yeah, that cannery's killing him. Jesus, literally, he's dying. Yeah. And then Psychic Mind Reader Lady, whose name I will never remember, uh, because, I, I don't know, she just wants to... uh read minds oh well okay her character's kind of complete on the onset then yeah but uh, i think we kind of spiraled out okay so newt's commander goes to new york wants to release thunderbird in arizona niffler gets out niffler gets out along niffler. with a whole bunch of other magical creatures three actually niffler the my, my dad's favorite character niffler my favorite character he was so much personality and a tiny little body. Niffler was so good. All he wants is the shinies. Uh, No, all that Niffler stuff, super good. Oh, super, yeah. super good. It made the movie, like, fun. Yeah. Was... I had fun at the movies for the first time in, like, years. Uh, there was a moment during that movie where I realized my face was physically exhausted from smiling. If I was I like were... this is a this is a fine movie. That whole bank scene was just oh man. It was it was such a weird little bank heist. It was great. And then uh you have the giant horny rhino monster. Yeah, the which... giant horny horny rhino monster. Yeah. Give an Oscar to that giant horny rhino. Fantastic giant horny rhino acting. Um it's was... <laughs> it's so good. What about when Eddie Redmayne has to act like a <laughs> he is stomping around and all bent over yeah that was crazy that was crazy but okay giant horny rhino monster when it is about to like blow up the tree that Kowalski's hiding in and it has that super up close look at its face where it gently licks its lips yeah so good well a lot of the visual aspects of the film were great what, what's the third oh the giant snake bird the snake bird slash invisible sloth guy who was uh, the invisible sloth guy was just like a gentle caretaker the invisible sloth guy had a fascinating idea and then it was like oh shit there's a giant bird snake yeah. we can't talk about this thing having probability based eyesight oh yeah that was a weird thing that was introduced and then subsequently kind of it, like it happened and then like oh wait but the outcome didn't change yeah because I didn't even know why that was in there I was like oh they're going to play with it because like it'll see things happening then they'll act like and then it, yeah. but what he saw happening just happened. Yeah. Eh, whatever. It was hard to hear during that scene. It was. But I felt like the all the visual flourishes during catching that monster yeah. was really interesting. But, however... But however... After those three monsters, and kind of throughout... Not monsters, beasts. After those three beasts, and kind of uh, throughout, and it comes to a head right at the end, there's this uh, sub-story, which is really the main story, of Percival Graves, the Auror, played by Colin Farrell, trying to ingratiate himself with Credence Barebone, who's played by Ezra Miller, who is the abused son of a New Salemite woman. And New Salem is this uh, group of anti-wizard... Uh, activists yeah they somehow know about wizards yeah and uh they, they haven't been oblitiated mm-hmm. but uh and they're very against their dealings and they, basically like any sort of hate group because it is a hate group it is this group blames wizards and witches for all of america's failings yes and, and they they want the systematic removal of these people and even position, position, petition newspapers and such to try to get their word out there. Yeah, they want to expose wizards and kill them. It is a, it is a, very obvious parallel for certain things in society. So this Credence Barebone is the adopted son of the matriarch of these New Salemites. Uh, he is regularly abused, and Percival Graves is attempting to uh, use... Because I think the thing about Aurors is they're supposed to have visions, or at least Graves is supposed to have visions. Uh, a part of magic, you know, not everybody gets visions. Okay. But apparently he gets visions. Uh, when the Graves has has seen visions of this uh, very powerful child and he's like seeing something about something in his dumb visions whatever so he's trying to ingratiate himself with uh, Credence Barebone to uh, bring him to this child bring him to this like ultimate conclusion which will help Graves in his ultimate goal of what seems to be wizard eugenics yeah there is there are heavy overtones of eugenics in that movie well i mean there's heavy eugenics ism in uh perry potter true and then you know the, it's the movie is set up with a tease of grindelwald who is essentially wizard hitler well yeah he's the first the first dark wizard the first dark wizard and the first one to kind of try to eliminate humankind yay so he's a real magneto about it okay so whereas Voldemort's more of a Malcolm X. Yeah. Wait. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> He's more of a no, Perfect. Not at <laughs> all. Good. But uh no, I think that whereas there are heavy overtones of eugenics in this movie, there's another kind of heavy overtone that I would like to talk about. What's your overtone? I feel like uh, a lot of anything surrounding Harry Potter, I feel like people are going to read too much into it having some kind of homosexual undertones. But I feel like there, were, there was a strong... What is it? What's the word? Ah. Undercurrent. Not undercurrent. Overcurrent. There we go. No, but I feel like the... Shit, what's that word? Denouement. You're right. What word, man? I can't... It's like metaphor... Simile? (laughs) Yeah, it's like that. Analogy. Yeah. Maybe. Anyway. Oh my god. No, I, I feel like this movie definitely was playing around with imagery... That was kind of homosexual in nature between graves and Creed and Sparebone. You mean you just mean the close talk. Allegory. Alleg this isn't an allegory. Homosexual allegory. Listen. It's just not an allegory. What's an allegory? Allegory is a play where oh, characters right. okay. are like fate right. and hope. Okay. No that then that's not an allegory. No. Shit, what's that word I want? I don't know. Anyway. Jesus. So I, I think that no. you just, you're just talking about the close talking. No, it's it's the it's the close talking. It's it's the very like close physical relationship they have, and their relationship stays close and physical and becomes abusive. Well, it, it's kind of like you know when you look, this kind of happens when abusive relationships are known. Mm-hmm. Vultures come in. They're like, look, I'm gonna be the one that treats you well. I'm gonna be the one. You want to be a part of this other thing, this bigger group mm-hmm. who will protect you. Yes, I will. I will promise you anything to get you to get me what I want. Yeah, it's 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 predatory. He's a predator. Yeah, and I feel like the the film, or at least David Yates, the director, goes goes pretty far to making his his predation almost sensual and into in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, no, you I, don't like it. It's definitely yeah, you know, yeah, because they're close talking. It's definitely meant to feel that way like they are embracing in an alleyway and he's whispering like terrible terrible demands of this kid Yep. it's uh and i mean that's not the only abusive relationship in the movie what other abusive relationship are you talking about uh newt's relationship with letal Estrange. we don't know anything about it she was a taker he needs a giver uh it was i think it was talked about in that in that book that she like framed killing another student on Newt's commander it was a bad emotionally abusive relationship that's why Newts messed up I thought he was messed up because he's autistic whoa maybe he's portrayed as not you know he rarely makes eye contact yeah he talks to animals way easier than people mm-hmm and uh he he happens to know to be intensely focused on this one area of his life mm-hmm I'm just saying, yeah, he comes across as being on the spectrum. I could see that read for sure, but I think that it's it's interesting that the God I say interesting a lot. This movie tackles relationships in a way that you wouldn't expect a Harry Potter movie to. Yeah, because like you've got you know Mind Reader and and Jacob Kalowski who are just like instantly meshed because kalowski's just like yeah please keep reading my mind i don't care yeah so he's you know the the pushover Mm -hmm. and she's the i don't know vulture and then you've got tina and uh newt who are just like (laughs) they're gonna be something but not now boy i was fascinated by the fact that they're their romantic relationship because of the nature of both of them culminates in him lingering on the ramp to a ship slightly longer than he would have normally. Yep. Because he finds it fantastically difficult to work with people. Three people in the movie theater were like, No, kiss, I'm like that would ruin his character. I don't I don't think he would. Yeah, I absolutely don't think I, he would. I think the concession to come back and say, Would you want your copy delivered in person mm-hmm. is like that is huge for Newt's Commander. That's, that's a massive step. Who doesn't have a lot of personal connections. Mm-hmm. I mean if he had personal connections he'd probably his <laughs> his arrival into New York would be a whole lot smoother, yeah, for sure. No one seems to know who he is. They know who his brother is because he was a war hero. yes, but definitely I found all the all the interpersonal relationships for what they were very cool, yeah, there's a lot of cool things in this movie that just are i don't know neat. Mm-hmm. I think the treatment of magic in this movie is great because, yes, you do have Kowalski who's like, oh man, he's 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 the Nomash who comes in and he's wild by magic. But every other use of magic just happens. Yeah, it's, you know, you know, Grind- no, Graves can he just won't like. He doesn't even need a wand. Yeah, he just takes the, the case. Yeah, he just boom boom. It's just like, it just happens. It's mm-hmm. great. Because you you almost never saw adults using magic in the Harry Potter books or films. And when they do, it's just casual. Because they went to school for it. Yeah. And if they're in the Magical Congress of the United States of America, a.k.a. Makusa, they're probably really good at it. Because they probably have at least a master's in magic. I mean, they don't even really need to say the spell names. It's great. Lightning yeah. just comes out of a wand. Yeah, saying spell names is dumb. And I, like, I like that they uh, they kind of dispelled with that as the movies went on. And you know, we haven't even talked about the actual central plot point through the movie, which is the Obscurus. Oh yeah, the Obscurus. The Obscurus, which is a a uh, an awful creature that manifests itself as a massive destructive force when a young wizard hides their feelings, hides their magic. Which I think you know, everything about the Harry Potter world up until this movie was kind of okay. Not everything, but most of the of the things about magic itself were nice. Were were treated as. Look how wonderful this is. But you, I mean, it can't be like that everywhere. Mm -hmm. So it's like this obscurest thing is a great way to introduce the darker side of magic in the Harry Potter world where it's like, yeah what happens to the people who have to suppress their ability because up until now in the books and the movies harry potter has always dealt with there are people who have magic and there are people who are overly proud of having magic and it has never dealt with there are people who have self-loathing about being wizards there are people who who hate their gifts regardless of uh of whether or not it's something that they were told to hate or they just have a have like a loathing of it in themselves because uh credence very clearly was adopted had some magical talent and it was beaten out of him yeah he, he was indoctrinated into this idea that witches and wizards are bad so he should just not be one he should choose to not be one mm-hmm. and which he, doesn't seem possible in this universe and he he harbored that hatred for himself and his abilities for so long that he was like the oldest obscurus ever which i thought that was uh that was cool that in the movie they were like yeah the longer someone lives with self-hatred the stronger and more destructive it becomes and destructive both in a self-destructive way and an ex you know an outside destructive way Mm-hmm. And the the animation on the Obscurus, when the the I guess Obscurus Prime comes out at the end of the movie, is visually stunning and horrifying. This is a this is a film that potentially kids are going to go to. Yeah, and dozens of innocent people probably died. And yeah, Jesus, this thing is like made of smoke and fire and darkness and hatred. It's yep. just like there's you could see faces in it. There were, there's literally faces of anger in the clouds of smoke. A manifestation of, of repression kills dozens of people. Also, just the way it moves and, ugh, it's horrifying to look at. There's this specific scene where it shoots out of the ground from the subway where it fills the entire sky and then shrinks back down into a laser point and goes back into the ground. Yeah. Very cool. This thing was so just like, I don't know, shocking and mystifying that I did not realize at first that Credence... Was was it? Yeah, I thought because there was a line that Colin Farrell's character Graves says is like you can control it. Yeah, and 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 once Creedence says I don't think I want to, and then he's surrounded by this smoke, and I thought, oh, it's a separate creature thing. Mm-hmm. But no, it's like he's a werewolf obscure thing. He yeah. turns into this, and that part was like sickening. Yeah, that reality that there's a small child in there, which makes the ending all the more horrifying. I uh, I thought it was I thought it was um a, n- a nice move to make Graves very gravely <laughs> mistaken about the nature of the Obscurus because as it becomes obvious as the film draws to a close Graves is a smart guy because he's Grindelwald yeah he's Grindelwald yeah And uh, but he he I don't think anyone has actually studied obscuruses before Mm. except for you know Newt was able to to separate one but from a dying eight year old child by the way which the movie explicitly states which is messed up well I mean because they're all young Mm -hmm. and they all die all of them die yeah and he said all of them die he said the eight year old was one of the oldest ones ever recorded yeah. So, the movie talks about children dying from repressing their... Selves. Yeah. Look, repression is bad. Just be yourself. Repression's bad. Be yourself. But, um... So, I, I think Graves was just... He was, of course, trying to use it as a weapon. Yeah. And uh, and so it's like, oh, it's useless if separated. That's a shame, you know? He's just like, oh, snap. Because he clearly wants to use it to an end, and that end is wizard eugenics. It's destroying people. Pretty much. And uh, let's talk about that ending for a second. All right. I didn't see it coming. I, I think, of course, looking back in retrospect, there are clues. Hmm. You know, the the obscurest being useless if separated thing. The magic without a wand. Whereas, other you know... In all other instances, we see people with wands using magic. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's cleverly hinted, but I did not see it coming. I, uh, I saw it coming almost immediately because the only shot you see of Grindelwald is from the back of his head and he has the exact same haircut, but it's white. All right, and the first shot you see of Colin Farrell's character not long after is the exact same shot of the back of his head, but his hair is black. You're too, but we're too attuned to these visual aspects. But when I saw it, I thought, you know, whatever. And there's the movie went, I'm like, that can't be the twist, because like. If I saw it coming, I'm going to hate it. But, like, if I did not see that coming, the twist really would have surprised me. But I hate it because I love Colin Farrell. Yeah. And going forward, I would have loved it if these movies were like, I'm whoever's playing Grindelwald, and this is Colin Farrell, my sidekick, and this is great. Yeah, it would be great if, if Graves was an actual person. Oh, Graves was such a good character. How could he just be fake? I really liked him. There were some times, especially toward the end, where you could tell Colin Farrell wanted to slip into his native, like, you know, accent. He wanted to, yeah. He wanted to inbruge it up. He wanted to bruge it. But, um... But, yeah, it is a shame that we won't get more of him in the future unless yeah. maybe he was a real guy. Maybe. I just really liked his performance. Hey, hey, look, look, in the past, uh Barty Krauts Jr. took yeah, over... Yeah. Actually, yeah. Took over Mad-Eye sure. Moody. Mm-hmm. Moody was a real person. It was revealed in that same book and film. But maybe... I mean I mean I don't probably Graves hasn't been Grindelwald for like 40 years yeah probably who knows who Who knows I just have to say you know kudos to the marketing for keeping that under wraps I uh don't like Johnny Depp so that kind of irked me, but I mean, it's fun. The fact that when it happened, I was like, "Oh shit, Johnny Depp's in this movie," and I was like, "Oh, I don't like Johnny Depp." The fact that I was surprised first, yeah, really, it shocked me. But I think you know it all, how much an actor gets on your nerves might be a product of director, you know, the directing. Hmm. So maybe under Yates, Johnny Depp will rein it in and you know be more. Hold on, let me finish. Oh, no. Yeah, God. Be more, uh, I don't know. What's a good role for Johnny Depp? Be more, uh... What's one where he's more subdued than... No, he's he's played subdued roles before. Yeah. And not eccentric. Like, it's happened. It has happened. More Benny and June. No. Uh, that's not subdued. But no, the thing I don't like about Johnny Depp is I don't like him as a person. I like most of his roles. Why don't you like him as a person? Ah, eh, there have been a lot of allegations about him hitting women. Oh. Yeah. Well, put that aside. We're talking about craft. True. Separate the artist from the art. Jesus Christ. I just don't like his woman-beating face. Well, you shouldn't... You shouldn't like his woman-beating... Yeah. But no, um... I... I He's I, in a movie for kids. True. But, uh... He's in Ringo... Yeah, I love Colin Farrell though. Yeah. Oh man. Graves was such a good character. He was a great character. Rest in peace, Graves. Rest in Graves peace. Burner. Uh Look, yeah. look. Look. Yes. Alright, the Niffler was great. The Niffler was great. Ron Perlman's character was there. He existed. The visuals of this movie were off the charts. Uh, this is the most visually impressive movie I've maybe ever seen. Yeah. It just, it it took tiny, literal tiny things sometimes, and just played with them, and scene dressing in such a way that it just became delightful, because you have this movie that's full of huge, larger-than-life, invisible things, tearing up streets, whatever. Whatever. But you also have a hilarious, artful slow-mo of a cockroach tumbling through the air. Yeah. It doesn't get much better than that. It... uh This movie just... I, I couldn't stop looking at it, mostly because it was on a 40-foot screen in front of my face. Yeah. Because I had to sit really close because the theater was packed. Oh, we went to, like, an empty theater. It was great. Uh, it, was, it was fascinating for me because I went to see Fantastic Beasts, and it had opened a while ago. And it was just, it was almost standing room. And then I went to see Moana, nobody. That's a shame. It was a matinee. Oh, well, that explains it. Yeah. Should have gone to a matinee for Fantastic Beasts. Matinees are where it's at. Matinees are where it is at. (laughs) They're cheaper, fewer people. Let me just say this. We're not going to do a supplemental reading for Moana. Okay. Me and my girlfriend sat in the theater. I haven't seen this movie. This is not about the movie. Okay. (laughs) Me and my girlfriend sat in the middle of the movie theater. Prime seating, matinee. There's like two people there. They're middle-aged dudes, whatever. Four people come in aged, I don't know, 14, 15, and 16. They all sat behind us. Uh... They all put their feet on the chairs, like, right next to us. Yeah. Don't do that if you're in a movie theater. And they proceeded to, every time any character did literally fucking anything, they'd be like, me, same. That kid's me. That pig's me. Same. Same. Shut up. Shut up. Just shut up. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Holy shit. Well, uh... Well... Oh, man. John, you had some strong feelings about this. It's it's fine. They weren't... They weren't talking movie volume. Also, there was an ad for Coke, and it showed a man and a woman for two seconds, and one person said at full volume, Yeah, I guess Coke's just for heteros. Like, shut up! Just shut up! (laughs) John, you're becoming an old man. No, it's... It's fine. We were there to see a movie. We weren't there to listen to Tumblr. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I guess I'll cut down on my usage of same. No, same is fine. I, I say same just as much as anyone else. But these people would say it at full volume oh my all gosh. of the time. Anytime a character like had something happen, they'd be like, rip. It's like, shut up. Ah! it's like twitch chat is yeah no it was awful anyway so fantastic beasts and where to find them i am i'm gonna look i saw the first hobbit movie i really enjoyed it but i still had reservations i was cautiously optimistic and i was burned yeah the hobbit movie series burned me as someone who only saw the third hobbit i agree (laughs) And this, I kind of had similar feelings after Fantastic Beast. It's like, this is something I can wrap my head around. I like it. It, what I really love about it is the action of the movie wrapped up. We were given a little treat of maybe something to come and like maybe an impetus for that to happen. He's going to come back to New York to deliver, to deliver the book, but we don't know anything about the next movie. I think that's perfect. That's how you do these series. You, you don't end a movie on a cliffhanger or a stinger. You, you just don't, you don't tease. You deliver something, and maybe you put a little thing here or there, but you don't end on a tease. It was a full experience. I don't necessarily need to see the next one to appreciate this one. I th, I think. But I still, I'm cautiously optimistic there are five of these things. Mm. They all need to be like that, where the action of the movie is wrapped up in the movie, and then we move on to a completely separate but connected story. And even if it gets to a point where we reach an act two of these movies where it's like a dark middle chapter, you can end this movie on a bummer, but don't end it on a cliffhanger. Wait, that's another thing. Fantastic Beasts has not a happy ending. True, it doesn't. They fail. Yeah. The main character and the villain both fail Mm -hmm. and are, you know, politics kind of in the American fashion stops anyone from doing anything they want to do. True. I, uh, like, like I was saying, I didn't know there were five of these movies until I looked up after I saw it. I thought there was only one. Yeah. I was like, perfect. That's. That was an amazing accomplishment, and when I saw that there were four more, I was like, ah, there's a chance for them to mess this thing that I really like up real bad. I just, I really hope that executives kind of treat this the way they, they did this time. They back off, let Yates and Rowling do their thing, and let us tell contained stories that are connected loosely by a thread, and just kind of move on from there. Yeah, if the rest of these movies are 70% a new story and 30% this dark underlying story, just like the first one, give me more of that! I'm all for it. Because I'm, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, Henry. I haven't been this excited about a movie franchise, maybe ever. And I'm very cynical about movie franchises, but I just really like this movie. I mean, the last time I was excited for these kind of movies was Harry Potter. And I knew how those would go because I read the books. <laughs> is that the that's game of thrones i can't remember it all right so so in standard supplemental reading fashion we now have to break it down Into the facts. Oh, the facts. Yes. Okay. I'm going to give you two two things. You have to give me a best character who is played by a human being. No, I'm going to give you three things. All right. right. You have to give me a best character who is played by a human being, best character who is played by a computer, and best character who is played by Colin Farrell. All right. All right. Okay. So the best human character has got to be Jacob Kowalski. I... Can't agree because we can't do repeats, but I'd respect your choice. He's the heart and soul of the film. He's the human, you know, the, the nomad perspective. And it's heartbreaking because he has to has to has to has to give a sacrifice? No, he has to sacrifice this magical portion of himself and like, okay, and typical movie fashion, you know, inklings come back, but I'm glad they didn't do the thing where it all comes back. Mm. You know, His creations at the end are inspired. He has no idea where the the inspirations are coming from, Mm -hmm. but he's got inklings and I think that's great. That's how you kind of do that sort of thing. That actor put in such a great performance. That motherfucker made me laugh out loud in a movie theater, which I haven't done in a while. And I I, I joked with this with my dad. I wholeheartedly think he only got the role because of his wild and obnoxious and, and contagious laugh. I mean, whatever he laughs in that movie, which is like three times, the entire theater just exploded laughing it was, and, and and two of those happened like within five minutes of each other, yeah, it's, it's great. Oh, he's he's so good. He's such a good character. He's so good. And he's, he's you know, he's crass. He's not... He punches Ron Perlman's character in the face I, with, like, no regard to the importance of that character. It's and, great. And that's something you never see in this universe is human beings having to interact with what's in front of them in the magical world. Because he's forced to. No one's obliviating him yet. So he has to be like, uh... There's a bar fight. I know one thing to do in a bar fight. Punch. And this guy stole a little green guy from my friend, so he's getting punched. Yeah. It's, it's, oh. Man, can you imagine how fucking surprised it would be for a wizard to get punched? Like, a wizard would be like, I thought you were going to, like, cast a spell, but you hit me yeah. with your fist. Yeah. Ow. <laughs> that hurt. But, uh. I didn't have any wards <laughs> against your fist at all. Best character played by a computer. Oh, so I do all of mine first? Yeah. All right. No, wait, no, we'll trade off. That's you, more we even. We should trade That's, off. You should That's more do even. your. Okay, so my favorite character played by a human being has got to be Eddie Redmayne as Newt Commander. because I am not a huge Eddie Redmayne fan. I am not either. I can't understand a word he says. I, uh, did not like him in The Theory of Everything. I did not like that movie, uh, Sam I Am. I did not. He sings like a Muppet in uh, Les Miserables. Yeah, that is... I also didn't like that movie. But uh, I feel like they cast him to type because they're like, we need a character with massive saucer eyes who is socially awkward, mumbles a lot, and is like a charming little spider. And they cast him perfectly to type as a saucer-eyed awkward spider. Who dresses like Matt Smith from Doctor Who. Man, that was a sharp wardrobe. (laughs) Sharp. Cutting edge. Yeah. Bowtie. Uh, I want those shoes. You can have them for the low, low price of whatever. Probably a million dollars. I agree. Newt's commander. I mean, yeah. I mean, he, he of course, is the the protagonist. Yeah, I mean, and it's kind of a cop-out to like the protagonist, but I was just amazed at how much I liked an Eddie Redmayne performance. I really liked how much he just does not fit in, even with wizard kind. Yeah. He's he's just an anomaly, an oddball, and he's lovable for it. Most people who aren't Tina, or Emma, or whatever her name is. Frost. Emma Frost. Most people who aren't her, or her sister, or Kowalski, look on him with just a kind of disdain. Because they just know he's a pitiable nerd. I mean, this was a kid who was almost kicked out of Hogwarts. Mm Mm-hmm. For something his abusive girlfriend did. Well, I, but, I, I don't know if that's entirely true. It is. I thought it involved a beast. I think so. I think they they were both like zoologists, and oh. she experimented on them, and one of them killed a student, and he took the blame for it. Is that what happened? I believe so. That's your theory. That's not what really happened. Read the Harry Potter Wikia. No. Do, 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 do. No, I'm not okay. doing this out of out of movie bullshit. Let's, it's if it. Well, it's going to be explored in the movies. But no, let's uh one thing that I really liked about his character, uh he very clearly cared a lot about these animals. Oh yeah. And I was like, uh I wonder if he's a pacifist. Pretty much never uses violence to defend himself. I thought he was uh using violence against uh, Graves. He, he was, was just protecting himself. <laughs> yeah. He he never once uses violence in that entire movie, I don't think. And at a certain point, he's just taking lightning bolts like he He's not defending himself anymore. I really think he was more defending the child than himself. Mm-hmm. He was defending Credence, and then like once Credence was clear, he kind of stopped. Yeah, it's, he's just it's, like if you know if you're gonna kill me, kill me. Because I mean, that's the thing about Harry Potter is that. Harry Potter in kind of a dumb, uh childish way, like taps into rage, is like I'm angry and, and punch and kick and lightning bolt whatever. Yeah. But Newt's Commander, full on pacifist. Yeah. He he would rather be hurt than hurt something else. And I thought that was very interesting to have a protagonist like that. It's and hard. I hope that never changes, and if it changes, changes for a damn good reason. Oh. Oh man. And not for like oh no, uh, you killed my love interest, oh, I'm gonna man. I'm gonna shoot fire oh, at you. That's dumb. No no no. That's what it is. Oh, man. can't wait for Tina to die in the third movie. That's probably going to be what it is. I just think that, like, breaking pacifism is very rote in all fiction because no one stays a pacifist in fiction. And I think it's... Because so often in stories we just use violence as the main verb of interacting with our adversaries, and I think that him not doing that is good. John, for characters to be dynamic, they have to change. Are you wishing for Newt's commander... To be a dull, static character through five films? He can change, I just don't want his stance on violence to change. He can grow to be a more confident, capable, interesting person. He has to pick up a gun and shoot someone. You're right. Chekhov's... Chekhov's (laughs) pacifist. Yeah. If there's a if there's a if there's a pacifist in the first act, he must take a gun from the mantle and shoot someone by the third act. Everyone knows this. It's, I mean, it's proven true so far. All right. So shall we pivot to best performance by a computer. character who is a computer? Oh, it's got to be Niffler, right? <laughs> yeah. Man, I really regret that you're having first sees on all of these. I'll let you. No, go no, no, first. no. We can't mess up the order. All right. Well, Niffler. I mean, he's such just attitude and charisma and a non-speaking role. All he wants is shiny things. So much, so much personality. This movie did a great job of having animals have realistically expressive faces in that they don't like have eyebrows and they don't like crack a dream work smirk or anything. They just look like animals would and they're expressive in the way animals would be. There's a moment. When the Niffler is flying through the air and he catches a glint of more shiny things. And so he's just like, oh. And yep. kind of like somehow directs himself to it. Yep. And then they have to dodge all the jewelry. This movie was so fun. It was so much fun to watch. Also, uh, maybe the best Niffler moment. Niffler's smart. So when they're going by a jewelry store, it pretends to be a display for some bracelets. It's like straight out of a cartoon, but it's yeah. great. It's niffler's so good. Oh man. Uh my favorite performance by a computer. Uh really gotta be Horny Rhino Monster. Yeah? Because Horny Rhino Monster had an even less expressive face than the Niffler. But it did so. It Its eyes only had one expression. It had no eyebrows. But you could read so much into its face. Also, the fact that it's introduced by cornering a hippo. A terrified hippo. Yeah. That's like, oh, Jesus. Oh. But, yeah, it's, its whole thing with Kowalski was just like, yeah, straight out of a cartoon. Just really fun to watch. Like Looney Tunes shit. Runner Up, the little green bug thing. Green Bug Thing was good, for sure. I thought it was a little too cute sometimes. Well, you know. It blew a raspberry. <sniffs> but uh, Horny Rhino Monster. God, I wish I knew its name. Horny Rhino Monster's pretty great. Yeah, I forget its name. So uh now, the final category. <laughs> the best character. Played by Colin Farrell. I'm gonna have to go... Why don't we say it at the same time? Okay. To be fair, since I've been going first, mm-hmm. we should go ahead and say this one at the same time. Okay, so best character played by Colin Farrell. Alright. Alright. One, one, two, two three. three. The other Yay. guy from In Bruges. What? Best character played by Colin Farrell. The other guy from In Bruges? Yeah. Oh, it doesn't have to be in this movie. Trick question! Wah, 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 wah. Percival Graves. Percival Graves. Yeah, Percival Graves. I was gonna say Training Day. SWAT. Yeah, he was okay in SWAT. What, Nate, what's, what other Colin Farrell movie? In Bruges. Yeah, no, one other one. SWAT. No, one other one. Is Trans- spotting? No. Is he in No. Transpo- he was not. No. Look, Graves is a great character. Was he in Snatch? He's dead. Move on. Anyway... What's up? Graves is a great character. Yeah, Graves was a great, menacing character. He's dead. He's dead. Move on. Okay, but. Grindelwald's here. Favorite Percival Graves moment? Go. Oh, snap. Um, probably just this, the snatching of the briefcase, like, instantaneously. <laughs> yeah, that so much attitude in that one little gesture. It, it, was, it was like, bump, bump. Like, mm-hmm. he grabbed it and then, like, he slammed it against the bench he was sitting on. He, Colin Farrell did a really good job of adopting this very menacing American accent. This very menacing, highly, almost kind of military kind of stature to this character. Yeah. Uh, however favorite thing that his character did Ever since the witch, it's the only thing that I've like flinched at in a movie theater. And it's when he's talking super close to to uh Creed and Sparebone, and their relationship completely turns cuz he just punches him in the face at really close range. Yeah. Like the camera doesn't shake, it doesn't call attention to it. It's just like straight domestic violence stuff cuz he just does it out of a quick bout of anger and just keeps talking. It's horrifying. I'm going to miss that actually. When he when he's talking to one time and like they're touching heads and talking just his fist comes up and just clocks him in the cheek really quick wow he just punches him right in the face and you like that i like that because it was you enjoy that yeah you monster i I just I liked it because it was so out of nowhere, yeah, it was because like their nature of their relationship is like it's kind of slimy and creepy, and then just in uh milliseconds like this is extremely abusive and very troublesome, yeah, this is a ex- this is super unhealthy what's happening right here, Whew. <sighs> very predatory guy, such a good character. Rest in peace. Hey, he might come back. Oh, that was a long conversation about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Yeah. I'm glad we wrapped it up with those three <laughs> things that you just made us pick. Oh, we actually have to wrap up for real now. Oh, hold on. One last thing. What's up? The American Wizards have a system of waterboarding using magic. Yeah. That involve, that, that also involves death. Yeah. That's fucked up. It's waterboarding that dissolves you. Yeah. I think it's Death Potion. Death Potion. That's what it was. it's a lake of Death Potion. And (laughs) you just, like, dive on in to your happy memories and get dissolved. Jesus. Yeah, no. Wizard is fucked. Wizard America is fucked. Wizard Death Penalty? When they were, like, Death Penalty, oh, are they just gonna, like, blow their brains out with a Harry Potter spell? No, because, like, they want to make it painless. Yeah, just like the actual death penalty. Yeah, it's more humane this way. Plus, oh. we get to see what you know. Oh, it's awful. Oh, man. Uh, Look. Yeah. Okay, I just wanted to get in, because I kept... No, like, I kept... That, that was like the one thing I wanted to talk about. I blocked that out. That was horrifying. Oh, man. Uh, So, let's actually wrap it up. Wrap in it statistics, up. Not statistic. Let's... Okay. Typical? Typical? Typical supplemental reading fashion. How do we do that? Okay. So... So fantastic beasts and where to find them yeah would you rate it uh buy it rent it gotta have it i say gotta have it gotta have it gotta have it wait for the box set definitely a gotta have it gotta have it you gotta have it you gotta watch it you gotta have it yeah real good real good movie read the book there is no book gotta have it it's got like a 77 percent on Rotten tomato somehow yeah that's weird because it's super enjoyable it's it's fantastic beasts. and there's beasts and where to find you them? You find them, yeah. You know where you find them? At the movies. You find those beasts at the movies. At the movies, you gotta go to the movies and find the beast. It's fantastic. And then at the end, you're like, oh, so it was inside of me all along. And just like where to find the Fantastic Beast? Just like, oh my god, no, please! End of the fifth movie. End of the fifth. No, Newt, you are the Fantastic Beast, and he's just like, <gasps> and you've already found them. Do 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 God damn it. Oh, Oh, what a good supplemental reading, maybe. We don't (laughs) know yet. What a good movie. We do know. Yeah, the movie was good. You know what? What? You know what Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them makes me think about? Where they could find our Fantastic Beasts and to contact us? Fantastic Podcast hosts and where to find them on social media. That's, yeah, where should they find them? You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash uh, <laughs> You always go for the URL. Just search for Zero Credits Podcast on Facebook. Zero Credits Podcast on Facebook. Also, you can get at us on Twitter. Send us your fantastic beasts. Yeah, send in your drones. At zcpcwhj on twitter.com. That stands for... Zantastic crests pand care <laughs> where hand job <laughs> Are you trying to replace each letter I was because it's the right number of letters right oh pantas wait what's z fantastic crests pair pand and wait and pair, pair with henry john woo Ooh hi Jam. Yeah, boy. That's the episode. ZCPCWHA on Twitter.com or you can send us an email. Send us your fantastic beasts. I can send us an email on ZCPC. <laughs> no, send us an email at zero credits is a podcast... At gmail.com. You'd really think I'd paid attention to this part. <laughs> so send us an email. Uh, send us your fan theories about what's up with Lita Lestrange. Just send us stuff. Yeah, we... we, we We've opened we. the floodgates to Harry Potter stuff, so let us know. Yeah, now the fandom should reward us by lifting us up by their magical laurels. And if you all send us enough information, we might have to have a post-mortem for this episode. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So I guess that's goodbye. That could be goodbye, or we could say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Wait. What? Uh, listeners, would you like this podcast delivered to you in person? <laughs> You have to say the last thing. Wait, do I say the last thing on supplemental readings? Could be. Ha <laughs> ha!